Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, it may seem strange to you to look in the book of Galatians today. Galatians chapter 4, but this really is a Christmas message. We talk about perfect timing. In chapter 3, Paul is talking to the Galatians who have become so entrenched in religious activities instead of Jesus. And I want to tell you there's a difference between religion and knowing Jesus. Religion just makes you miserable. But when you have a relationship with God with, through Jesus Christ, it's totally different. And, and so in chapter 4, he picks up on the fact that we were born under the law, but then notice what he says in verse 4. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Written by one who hated Jesus until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's talking about a transformation. A little girl got a watch and some perfume for Christmas. She was so excited. They invited, later that week, they invited the pastor and his wife over for dinner. Mom said, now, don't you interrupt supper. Don't you interrupt dinner. She said, but I want to tell him about my watch and perfume. And she said, do not interrupt the meal. After the meal's over, you'll have time to talk about it. Well, during the meal, she just could hardly contain herself. And so not wanting to disobey, she just leaned over to the pastor and she whispered, if you hear a little noise and smell something, it's me. <laughs> Don't you love kids? True story, a lady was taking a shower. Her two-year-old came into the bathroom, wrapped himself in toilet paper. Well, he made a mess, but he looked so cute. She ran and got her camera and took several pictures of him, and they came out so well that she had prints made and sent with her Christmas cards. Well, several days later, one of her relatives called, was laughing hysterically and said, you need to take a closer look at that picture. And sure enough, in that picture was her reflection wearing nothing but a camera. <laughs> Perfect timing. If you, sometimes when you have some time, you ought to look up or do a search on perfectly timed photographs. I got lost in those looking at some of them. I thought, well, if I'd had time and I had an opportunity, I'd have put a couple of them up there. Perfect timing. That's what I want to talk to you about. Christmas perfect timing of it. Now, we don't know the day that Jesus was born. 
I know we celebrated on December 25th. There's nothing wrong with that. Probably was not in December. It was probably in the spring because shepherds were out in the fields staying all night, and they wouldn't be staying out all night out in the fields in December. But it doesn't matter. But that's not what I'm talking about, the date. I'm talking about the timing of when Jesus actually came when God sent him. The first thing I want you to notice is that the Lord was right on time. Verse 4, but when the fullness of the time had come. Are you an on-time person? Are you one of those people that's on time? Or have you developed being late in your theology? You believe in regeneration, sanctification, justification, procrastination, Some of you are habitually late, and that punishes everyone else. But we live in a society, we want everything instantly. Give it to me now. We want instant news. We want instant weather information, current events. And we bring that same attitude to the things of God. God, I want you to answer my prayer right now. Or I want you to work on my behalf and deliver me right now. And when difficulties and circumstances keep on going, we get a little frustrated with God saying, well, we want you to do it at my time. But you know, I want you to know God's timing isn't always our timing. God's not bound by time for one thing. And Paul says, when the fullness of time had come in verse four, that's the picture of water dripping in a bucket. And you let water drip in a bucket long enough, it'll finally get to the rim. And one drop is going to send it over the edge. The fullness of time is what he's talking about. At a specific point in time, God sent Jesus. And Christmas teaches us that God is never too soon. He's never too late. He's right on time. Now, I want you to stay with me because there's a point to this, and it'll affect your life. But let me use a few illustrations to show God's right on time. When the servant of Abraham was sent back to the homeland, Nahor, to find a wife for Isaac, when the servant got to the well, he prayed. This is all in Genesis 24, by the way. He prayed that... I'm going to ask a drink from a lady or a young maiden, and I pray that if she's the one, she will offer to water my camels also. And no longer had he got through praying, no sooner had he got through praying that Rebecca came to the well and filled her water jar, and before she walked off, the servant hurried over there and said, would you give me a drink? And she took it off of her head, the scripture says, and gave him a drink, and when he took a drink, she also said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they finish drinking. At just the right time, Rebecca showed up. There's Joseph, son of Jacob had the coat of many colors. His brothers were jealous of him, and one time we went out to see them, they decided to strip him of his coat, throw him in a cistern, and let him die. But at just the right time, a caravan headed to Egypt came by, and the brothers said, well, why don't we make a little money off this deal? And they sold him to slavery, and at just the right time, Joseph arrived in Egypt. And at just the right time, he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And at just the right time, he became second in command in Egypt. And at just the right time, famine came, and the family came from Israel needing help, and it reunited the family. And Joseph said in in Genesis 50, he said, You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Moses, when he was born, was placed in a little basket and put out in the Nile River. And at just the right time, Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe. And at just the right time, the baby cried so Moses could be found and grow up in the household of Pharaoh. And at just the right time, he delivered the people out of Egypt and came to the Red Sea. And at just the right time, God parted the Red Sea. Just the right time, David came to the battlefield and there was Goliath out there flexing his muscles and boasting of how powerful he was. At just the right time, Esther was made the queen to save her own people when her uncle Mordecai said, who knows but that God has made you queen for such a time as this. The three Hebrew boys thrown into the fiery furnace. At just the right time, the Lord showed up to protect them. In Daniel 2.21, we find these words, God changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. And you need to understand that God is in control. Just because he didn't do what you demanded of him or asked him to do doesn't mean he's not in control. So how is he on time? Quickly. He was right on time at his first coming. I want to camp here for just a minute. We will get those filled out, and you'll get out on time or earlier. But listen to me. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. What kind of world did Jesus come to? First of all, there was an international language. God used the Greeks. In 333 B.C., Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire, which had control of the Jews. Basically, God said, I want a universal language. So when Jesus was born, everybody would know about the son's birth. And when the Greeks conquered the world, Greek language became the universal language. They read and wrote in Greek. All legal documents were in Greek. The New Testament was written in Greek. And Pilate wrote an inscription over the cross where Jesus was crucified. Here, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And guess what? They wrote it in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. The disciples could take the message of of Jesus to the whole world because there was a universal language. Just like today, English is the language of commerce. Most people speak a little English. Well... There was also international peace when Jesus was born because there was one government, the Romans. In 63 B.C., the Romans conquered the Greeks, and they set up one government all over the known world at that time. Basically, God said, you won't have to have a passport. You won't have the fear of going into enemy territory. You won't have the fear of any wars going on. You'll have freedom to take the message everywhere. And not only that, the Romans built roads. All roads lead to Rome. They had a road system so that they could spread out and spread the gospel. There was also religious confusion at the time. All of the thousands of gods between the Greeks and the Romans and everyone else, they weren't getting it anymore. And through the world, the Jews had been talking about one God for 4,000 years. And now they were ready to listen. And in the midst of the thousands of petty gods that the Greeks had and the Romans had, God had been preparing for the one God, Jehovah. There was also moral decline. You see all these fake gods, these little G-gods, they don't bring anything. Religion doesn't bring anything. Religion doesn't bring peace to the heart because there's a God-shaped vacuum that only he can fill. We are made in the image of God, spirit, spirit, 
We have a spirit. God is spirit. We have a body. We have a soul. And those three parts, the triune God, we, we are made to know God. And when you don't know him, that spirit is empty. You are, have a God-shaped vacuum and art and literature and poetry and music and architecture. And the greatest military machine in the world had ever known at that time didn't fill that void. In fact, in the end, the verdict was clear. Athens, the Greeks, they produced Aristotle and Socrates and Euripides and Aristophanes, and the Romans had Cicero and Seneca and Juvenal and Tacitus and Suetonius and Julius Caesar. In fact, the Romans took it a step further and said, let's worship man. Caesar wanted to be worshiped as a god. You see, it's a simple historical fact that the condition of the ancient world was corrupt. There was widespread superstition. There was immorality. There was corruption. A lot of unbelief. It had been a long time. The prophets had been talking about a Messiah coming. In the Garden of Eden, the Deliverer was promised. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah all talked about a Messiah that would come. And Jesus fulfilling those prophecies is a miracle in itself. It's not a coincidence. You can look for yourself. But when Matthew 1 happens, it's been 400 years since they've had a word from God. They hadn't had a prophet or a preacher or any kind of proclamation from God for 400 years. But when the fullness of time came, angel spoke to Mary. An angel spoke to Joseph. A host of angels came to the shepherds. God placed a star in the sky so the wise men from the east would realize who that, what that was and come searching for him. Think about it for a moment. The taxing, the crowded in, the birth, the stable, the shepherds, the angels, all part of God's perfect plan. And that's the world that Christ came into. It was, a, it was a difficult place. It was a place filled with paganism and sexual immorality and homosexuality and murder and perversion and dishonesty and brutality. A world of broken promises and broken dreams and homes and broken hearts. And into that darkness, God shines a light when the fullness of time had come. But now listen, from human perspective, it looked totally different. Think about it. Mary's found with child, goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. Joseph wants to divorce her, but the angel stops him. Nine months pregnant, Mary has to make the long journey to Bethlehem. At the time Jesus was born, there was no room in the inn, so he was probably born in a cave. No one came to celebrate. Family wasn't there, just a bunch of smelly shepherds. Herod sought to kill the baby Jesus, and so Joseph, Mary, and Jesus had to flee to Egypt. And from God's perspective, in the fullness of time, it was perfect. But from Mary and Joseph's perspective, it was a mess. We have romanticized this and made this a wonderful story because we're 2,000 years past it. But at this time, they're thinking, Lord, what on earth is going on? You ever felt that way? <laughs> Psalm 31, 15, the psalmist says, my times are in your hands. And of course, we all like Romans 8, 28, for we know that in all things God works 
for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. It didn't say everything is good. He works it for the good. If I look back in my own life, and those of you who were born again, you, you believers, you can look back on your own life. And I'm convinced Romans 8.28 is true because things have happened in my life exactly the right time, and yet it was not because of anything that I had done. People in my life, opportunities offered, help received. You can look back over your own conversion and you can probably see people who were instrumental in your life to help you hear the gospel. There may have been circumstances that softened your heart. God prepared your soul to hear about the salvation of Jesus. And at just the right moment, you gave your life to him. Not only was the Lord on time in his first coming, he'll be right on time in his final coming. He's coming back. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not real. In fact, did you know a third of the Bible talks about prophecy? Now, not all of it's future. A lot of it started in Genesis and goes through the Old Testament prophesying about Jesus. And the, the, the um, possibility of Jesus accidentally fulfilling those prophecies, it's impossible by accident. But as you know, a lot of the New Testament talks about the return of Jesus. It's a historical fact Jesus was here. It talks about the return. Jesus said in John 14, I've gone to prepare a place for you. And guess what? I'm coming back to get you. I love that personal thing. I, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to get you. In 1 Thessalonians, it talks about the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. He's coming back. In Acts chapter 1, you find Jesus ascending into heaven. And, and the disciples are watching him. Now, I don't have any proof of this, but, but I'm pretty sure it happened like this. When, when Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples were, were going like this. <laughs> because an angel appears and said, why are you guys staring into heaven? He said, the same Jesus, the same way he left is coming back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Acts chapter 1. Here's the bottom line. He's coming back. You need to be ready. And the way to be ready is to have him as your Lord and Savior. There's another truth about the Lord's timing. It's, he's always right on time with his faithful compassion. Listen, one of the things that Paul was helping the Galatians see, who had become so legalistic, was understanding some things. He said, first of all, you're not here by accident. God has you on this earth at this time for a reason and a purpose, and he has a plan for you. So many people today say, well, I just want to follow my passion. Well, I understand that, but you need to follow God's plan for you, and he'll give you the passion to do it. Because feelings, they come and go. But think about it. You're not an accident. There's no such thing. Your parents may say, well, you were an accident. No, you weren't an accident. You may have been a surprise. <laughs> but, God, but God's got you here for a reason. 
You're not just taking up space. And Christmas is a reminder not to lose any hope. God is at work on your behalf. You place your faith and trust in him. But not only was the Lord right on time, he's right on target. Look at verse 4. Sent forth his son, born of a woman. Actually, the word born there actually means made of a woman. In Genesis chapter, in Genesis 3, when, the, when man sinned, and God said that the seed of the woman will crush her head. Woman didn't have a seed. Speaking of the virgin birth, made of a woman, speaking of the virgin birth, God sent his son. And the word sent is the word that means to be sent with a mission, and it also means to be sent from someone or somewhere, which implies that Jesus came from God. He was one with the Father. We don't believe in three gods. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit represented the triune God, manifested three ways, but he he came from God. Jesus is not merely a man. He's the... He's God sent from God to be one of us. And you may say, well, why am I a target? Why did Jesus come? You're his target. I'm his target. We're the reason he came. He didn't come down here for the fun of it. (laughs) When he think fun about it. Limit yourself to humanity to be punished. Not punished, to to be harmed or persecuted or whatever, to be put to death. He came because of you and me. I want you to understand Christian was because of you and me. God so loved the world. It reminds me of John 3, 16. He so loved you and me that he came. He was called Emmanuel. God is with us. And, and verse 5 says he to redeem, to buy back. You and I could not save ourselves. And isn't it interesting, the description I gave you of the world that Jesus was born into sounds a lot like our world, doesn't it? Everybody speaks a little English. We definitely have instant communication. We definitely have a lot of religious confusion. And I really believe we have a moral problem too, don't you? Our nation's ripe for the second coming of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Who who does our world worship? Rock stars? Listen, I'm an old rock and roller from the 70s. I feel sorry for you younger people didn't live in to live in the greatest music time of the world. <laughs> But you know what? We don't worship rock star, but today they, they put them on a pedestal. Or athletes. My word. We think athletes walk on water. Or movie stars. Come on, people. These people, they play make-believe. And yet we think they have intelligence enough to tell us how to run our life or our country. Really? But what I'm trying to say is how much of a vacuum is there today? People are grasping. They're grasping. They're desperate. 
We buy people what they need. We want to for Christmas or birthdays. One little girl asked, was asked, what are you giving your brother for Christmas? She said, I don't know. And they said, well, what did you give him last year? She said, the chicken pox. <laughs> God sent to redeem. Because Romans 3.23 indicates that all of us have sinned. Isaiah said, there's none righteous, no, not one. Describes us, we're all sinners. We all know that. But I love, I love Romans 5.8 that says, God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're still God's target. You're still God's focus. I want you to understand that God loves you. God will forgive you. God wants you. You don't have to prove yourself to him. He already knows everything about you. He just needs somebody who's willing to, by faith, turn from their sin and say, God, I trust you. I believe you. I ask you to forgive me. I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe that he lived a sinless life and died for my sin. I believe he rose again. Listen, the, the facts about the resurrection are so tremendous that so many people that don't even believe in God have come to believe in Christ just by looking at the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. And if you've got any logical thinking about you or any reason about you, you can't deny the resurrection of Jesus. And there's only been one that's been resurrected, the sinless Jesus Christ. The Lord is right on time. He's right on target. And last of all, he's ready to transform your life. Transformation. Now stay with me here for just a second. See, Jesus, Paul, and listen, you're talking to one of the greatest religious people that ever lived before he met Jesus, it was Paul, Saul. You talking about a legalist, he was it. Religious people are miserable people. You know why? Because it doesn't change anything on the inside. There's no transformation. Verse five says, to redeem us who were under the law and because you are sons or children, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart crying out, Abba, Father. You see, there's a difference in religion and a relationship with God. Amen. The Jewish boys called their father Abba. It's the English equivalent of Daddy. I doubt seriously many of you in here, unless you had a horrible relationship with your father, ever said, Father, can I borrow the car? No, you called him dad or daddy. It's a relational term. There's signs that said anybody, any man can be a father, but it takes somebody special to be a dad. Well, a dad is a relational word, Abba, Father. So listen to me. You have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that allows you to call him dad. Now, I mean, this, oh, no disrespect. And I don't, when I pray, I don't say, dear dad. But you know what? He'd be okay with it. 
he would be okay with it. I just can't do it <laughs> because I have that much respect. But, but do you see the relationship you have with the creator of the universe? It's not religion. The first Christmas was a time of transformation. It transformed Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and all who came to Jesus. History has been transformed because of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, I'm not asking you to be a Baptist or be a member of the church or be religious. I'm asking you to open your eyes to see how much God wants you. You know, it's amazing. God wants you and me. Why? Would you want you? I wouldn't want me. But God wants you. And so he said, you know what? You'll never, you'll never save yourself. So I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to pay all the price. I'm going to atone for your sin. Because I'm a just and holy God. And now all you have to do is commit your life to me. I have an iPad here. It's one of the greatest tools a speaker could ever use. It's incredible. I could tell you all about this iPad, and I could say, you know, I bought this iPad for you. You can watch movies on it. It'll write sermons for you. No, it doesn't do that part, but you can put sermons on there. You, you, can, you can surf the web with this. I could tell you everything about it, what it would do for you. And I could say, I bought this for you. When would it become yours? It's, just, it's for you. It, it won't be yours until you take it. And that's why John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them God gave the right to be called the children of God, even those that believe on him. A lot of people believe They've never received Christ. And today's your day. The greatest gift you'll ever receive. It's a gift. It's a gift. Would you bow your heads with me? Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message.